but wise. Luke chapter 24, starting to read at verse 13. Scripture says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he, that's Jesus, said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures. Amen. With the help of the Lord this morning, I'm going to be preaching about the bread breaker. The bread breaker. Amen. Last Sunday, seems I've sort of preached a resurrection message the week before Easter and now it's the week after. And last Sunday was Easter Sunday, sometimes called Resurrection Sunday. And for these two people walking on the road to Emmaus, it was immediately after the resurrection, but they were still trying to put all that together and work out exactly what had happened. Uh, some suggest that it was Cleopas and Luke himself. Some suggest that it was Cleopas and his wife as they ended up at their dwelling in Emmaus. We don't really know. But then Jesus began to walk with them, but he did not allow them to recognize who he was. And he said to them, you know, what, what are these things you're discussing? And, and they were amazed that this man who they didn't recognize had not heard what had happened in Jerusalem. And they, he, they begin to tell him about Jesus of Nazareth, about this great man that had preached with great power and done many great miracles and how they had trusted in him that he was the Messiah. He was the one that would restore Israel back to its former glory. Amen. And... Uh, as you think about that conversation, they, they, they were perplexed. They said, well, we're hearing 
We're hearing rumors that some ladies went to the tomb and they saw angels and said he's not there. And so some of the men went because they didn't really trust what the ladies said, which was a blight on the men, not on the ladies. But And, and they went and they couldn't find him either. And, and they, they, they basically said, we don't really know what to think. We don't really know what's happened. And then Jesus begins to give them a Bible study, showing them from Moses and through all the prophets how the scriptures said that these things would come to pass. And if you looked at, you actually look into the distance that they traveled, that however many furlongs it was, that's more than 10 kilometers. They had a 10 kilometer Bible study with Jesus himself about himself. What a Bible study that would have been to be a part of. Amen. To be able to, you know, it just almost mentions it in passing, but unfortunately they couldn't record the conversation back then. But it would have been a fascinating Bible study to be involved in. And then as they drew near to Emmaus, the scripture says that Jesus acted as if he was going to just keep going. He was preparing to say, well, it's been nice talking to you and have a nice day. And and he was going to keep on traveling. But they said to him, look, it's late in the day. The sun's going down. Why don't you come, stay with us, have some dinner with us, have some more fellowship. And so he agreed to that and they They put the dinner on the table and as they were sitting down to eat, the scripture says that Jesus took some bread from the table. He blessed it and he broke that bread and gave it to them. And at that instant, at that moment, their eyes were opened to know who he was and very inconveniently he vanished out of their sight because I'm sure they had a whole list of questions they wanted to ask him. But when he broke the bread... They vanished. Amen. We're preaching about the bread breaker today. In the scripture, bread is spoken of as a staple, as food, basic food we need to survive. And when the, the, actually when the Bible uses the word bread, it's not always specifically talking about bread. It's talking about food in a general sense, the things that we need for our existence. And throughout the scripture, we see bread appear when God provided manna in the wilderness. It was there was something that was like a form of bread and they made bread out of it because the Israelites said at one point, we've had enough of this light bread. We don't want any more of this. We, we'd like something else. We want fried chicken. And uh, they didn't want that bread that the Lord was miraculously providing for them. In the tabernacle, there was the showbread that was made specially, which we know was a symbol of the Word of God. The prophet Elijah in the Old Testament, when he was in a difficult situation, was miraculously provided for by the Lord. Firstly, through ravens that brought food for him. And secondly, the Lord sent him to a widow to provide for him. And if you don't know that story, it is one of those fantastic stories in the Old Testament. We're in a time of extreme drought and famine. Elijah finds himself, I believe, at the point of collapse. Comes to the widow and says, can you get me a drink of water? And as she turns to go to get him a drink of water, he says, and bring me a morsel of bread. Just bring me something to eat. And that was, that was the straw that broke the camel's back because the widow turns to the prophet and says, I've just got a handful of meal in a barrel and a little bit of oil and I'm preparing to make a cake for me and my son. We're going to eat it and we're going to lie down and we're going to die. That's how desperate the situation was. And Elijah says, feed me first. The audacity. The... The lack of manners, the rudeness that this prophet would say, feed me first. But there was something about that interaction 
that this woman who was thinking, well, we're going to die anyway, we've got nothing to lose, bakes a little cake, gives it to the prophet first, but then the miracle takes place where for the rest of that famine, every time she went to the barrel, it doesn't say there was a 25-kilo bag of flour like we used to use, but every time she went back to the barrel, there's a little bit of meal. Every time she went back to the oil bottle, there's a little bit of oil. And God kept her throughout that time of need. Amen. We thank the Lord for that. When we, when we move into the New Testament, when the Lord gave us the pattern for prayer and what we sometimes call the Lord's Prayer, He said part of that was give us this day our daily bread. In other words, Lord, provide those things for us that we need to survive. Those things that we have to be able to depend upon for life. And in the Gospels, there are many examples we could use, but in the Gospels twice, Jesus fed a multitude of thousands of people with just a few small loaves of bread and a few fish as he blessed it and he broke it and he distributed it. It continued to miraculously multiply in his hands so it reached a point where everybody had enough to eat And not only did everybody have enough to eat, but they had more leftovers than they'd started out with in the first place. Now, I have never fed somebody and had more leftovers than we started out with. That's pretty amazing. The fact that he could feed all those people from just a little bit of food was incredible, but he demonstrated that he is still more than enough, that he is still more than able to do the things that we need him to do. And when Jesus was tempted by the devil after he had been fasting for 40 days, he quoted something from the Old Testament which is very important for us to understand. In Matthew 4 and 4, he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He said, It's not enough to live physically. There's got to be life in you that is greater than the physical. Amen. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, the day the church was born, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. This verse contains four components that if you will consider them, if you will consider what they mean and their importance and you will apply them to your own life, they will be for the preserving of your soul. Amen. We must have right doctrine. We must have the truth of God's Word. The truth of God's Word is more than just the fact that there is one Lord and His name is Jesus. That's where it begins. He is the chief cornerstone. But we have to have the truth of all of God's Word because it's not enough to be nice people. It's not enough to have some loose, generalized idea of what it means to be a believer. We must They continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in fellowship. That means we've got to get together with other believers, whether it's his house or your house. We need to get together. Now, fellowship, when we talk about it in a scriptural setting, means something that has a spiritual benefit. That does not mean that every time you go to somebody's house for coffee, you have to do a Bible study. But godly fellowship is any getting together where when you leave, you are encouraged, you are strengthened, you are exhorted to keep walking with God. That doesn't need to include a Bible study. That can just be being able to encourage one another. But we need doctrine. We need fellowship. 
We need the breaking of bread. Now, as a general rule, apostolics have absolutely no problem with breaking lots of things, including bread, when it comes to food. There is some difference of opinion amongst commentators and scholars as to whether this is simply talking about meals or whether it's also talking about communion in the table of the Lord. I think it could possibly include both. I think both are necessary. And finally, but certainly not any less significant, they continued in prayers. We need these four things. If you look at those four and you think, I'm missing one or more of those, you need to correct that. If you plan on being ready when Jesus comes back, you've got to have the apostles' doctrine. You need to be in fellowship. This is, this is a team sport. This is not a solo thing. This is a team sport where God has put us together. We need to break bread together. We need to come to the table of the Lord together. And we desperately need to be people of prayer. Amen. Wednesday night prayer meetings are difficult for some, I realize. But a prayer meeting is the sign of the health of the church. Amen. Bless the Lord. We know we need food to survive. I don't think I have to explain that to anybody here. We know that there are different options in terms of the level of quality and health of food. We understand that as well. But there is something that we need that is more than just for our bodies, that is more important than just our physical nutrition, and that is we need life in our souls. We need the resurrection power we spoke about before I went away, but we must die to our own flesh to release that power within us. If you want the power of God operating in your life and you don't feel like it is, then maybe there's still something living that needs to die. Maybe there's still something alive in us that needs to be crucified before the Lord. We know the Bible says that there is a thief who exists solely to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus wants us to have abundant life. And he is the source of life. He is the ongoing sustainer of life. He is the bread breaker. Amen. He is the one that feeds our souls. In John chapter 6, and it's a long chapter, so I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to pull some pieces out of it. At the beginning of John 6, in the early parts, Jesus feeds the multitude miraculously with loaves and fishes. Does that incredible miracle. And then that night, the disciples are on a boat going over the Sea of Galilee, and they're caught in a storm and Jesus comes walking on the water and they're terrified but you know the Bible says the Bible says that when these little things you don't always notice when he got in the boat they were immediately at the shore that's what the Bible says they were in a storm he came walking on the storm and then when he got the moment he got in the boat the ship was where they were supposed to be that's express delivery that's that's the power of the Lord Amen. But then the next day, after they traveled through on the sea overnight, the next day the Bible says that the crowds came to Jesus again. And this time, the Lord says to them, you've only come for the free food. You've only come for the loaves and the fishes. He said, that's why you're here. He said, my father gave Moses manna in the wilderness and he's dead. He said, you need something more than just natural bread. He said, you can eat these things that are natural, but you're still going to die like Moses is dead. And then he went on to talk to them about how his father had sent the true bread down from heaven and that this bread gives life to the world. And they said, that, that interested them. They said, give us this bread. Reminds me of John chapter 4 when the woman met Jesus at the well. And he said to her, if you drink this water, you'll thirst again. But the water that I have, 
If I give that to you, you'll never thirst again. And she said, give me that water that I never thirst and I don't come here to put the bucket in this hole in the ground ever again. And when she made that request, we know that Jesus changed the conversation. He began to address the sin in her life. Because if you want the living water, there are some things that have to change. Amen. Bless the Lord. And that's what happened. They said, they said, Lord, give us this living bread that's come down from heaven. That sounds fantastic. And then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And they were like, excuse me? He said, I am the bread of life. And they were confused. They were kind of like, he's talking about this bread from heaven. Now he's saying that he is the bread. And then Jesus messed with their heads a little further. And he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And that really freaked them out, understandably. They were like, what? What are we supposed to eat his flesh and drink his blood? And it is this passage of Scripture that orthodox religion gets the false doctrine, I'll be honest, and direct the false doctrine. If you, This is not a test on this afterwards, but it's called the transubstantiation of the communion host. See, Bible school director, I know that. See, I went to Bible school. What that means is that they believe that when you have communion, that that bread and that wine or grape juice literally becomes the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. That's nonsense. Because there would be no advantage, even if that did happen, what would be the benefit? If he wanted us to literally eat his flesh and drink his blood, they wouldn't have to bury him. But when you read on in chapter 6, you get the understanding of what he was talking about because in John 6 and 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit that quickeneth, that makes alive. He said, The flesh profits nothing. He said, It's the words that I speak unto you. They are spirit and they are life. See, what they didn't understand at that point was the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. What he was saying was, he's not saying you need to digest my muscles. He's saying, I am the expression of the Word of God. I am the Word of God manifest in flesh. And if you will not consume that Word, you can have no part in me. He said, I am the living bread that came from heaven. I am the word of God expressed in human form to provide salvation. What they did not get or at least were struggling to get was that when Jesus spoke, God was speaking to them. And I'm thankful today that he made sure that we would have his words recorded in our Bibles so that we can read it. When we hear it preached, he can still speak to us. Amen. Something powerful happened when Jesus broke bread. Something powerful happened when he fed the thousands of people and even when he broke bread in private with his disciples. There were things that were happening that were beyond just the natural. We know it as the Last Supper when he shared the Passover meal with his disciples for the last time because he knew that Calvary was looming very close and he was preparing to fulfill his purpose. And in the Apostle Paul's teaching in First. Corinthians 11, Paul said this in 11 and 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. He said, This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. When Jesus broke the physical bread and he blessed it, a miracle happened that fed 5,000 people. But when he allowed them to break his body, a miracle happened that made it possible for every single one of us to have life in our souls. Amen. He did a natural miracle when he gave them lunch for 5,000, but when he allowed them to break the bread of life, as it were, a miracle was made possible that you and I today, some 2,000 years later, could be born again and have life in our souls. When Jesus walked with those two people on the road to Emmaus, he did not allow them to recognize him. He deliberately prohibited that from happening. But when did they realize who he was? When did he allow their eyes to be opened when he broke the bread? Why? Because they'd seen him do that before. They knew that was something he did. He broke bread and he blessed it. But I want you to notice something else that took place. He opened their eyes when they broke the bread, but as they reflected on what had just happened, they said these words, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us while he spoke the scriptures to us? Now that we think about it, while we were walking that 10 plus kilometer Bible study, wasn't something going on inside of us as he began to talk to us? That's the bread that he wanted them to have. He he revealed himself when he broke the natural bread, but he was reaching for something deeper than just a ham sandwich. Well, they wouldn't have had that. They were Jews. But he was trying to put life in their souls. Hallelujah. We do not have Jesus here in a body anymore, and we've never eaten bread with him, literally. But his word still speaks to us. Every time you open the Word of God and will stop and consider what it says with an open heart, it still reaches for us. It's still designed when it's preached, when it's taught, when it's shared, when it's studied, when it's meditated upon. It needs to burn in us. We need to feel something inside of us like those two disciples did as they walked the Emmaus Road because it is still the bread of life. It is still the source of life for our souls. He is still the bread breaker. It is still true that the words that he speaks are spirit and they are life. That's why he can still speak to us all these years later. That's why it's not just a history book because his word is alive. Amen. We've been consistently repetitive in the last couple of years in our emphasis on the word of God. Because it is still the source of strength for our souls. It is still the source of spiritual life. It is still that which feeds us, which guides us, which instructs us, which corrects us, which lets us know what is right and what is wrong. It is that which we measure things against. It is His Word. You know, in the natural sense, when our bodies are healthy, when we are healthy and we are strong, we can overcome a wide variety of illnesses. We've all been sick. I don't think there's any one of us that's gone through life and never had the flu or a cold or a virus or some kind of food poisoning or whatever it might We've all had illnesses. But when our bodies are strong and our immune system is strong, we can go through things and come out the other side. But when our bodies are weak, 
and our immune systems are compromised, then getting through something is not as simple as it should be. It's one of the risks in the current pandemic is when people catch the virus and they have pre-existing conditions. It complicates things. You try to get health insurance or travel insurance or life insurance, what they want, they want to know what's wrong with you before they're willing to sign up to pay you money. Because if you sign up for a million dollar life insurance policy and you're about to drop dead in three days, they don't want to know you. Because you're not, a, you're a risk they don't want to take. And they will ask you, there's a whole section in the paperwork on pre-existing conditions. And they say, if you don't answer these questions properly and we find out that you lied to us, you'll get nothing. Why? Because the pre-existing conditions complicate the present. And it's exactly the same spiritually. So often it is not the trial that is the issue. It is the spiritual health we did not have going into the trial that is the issue. If you're strong, you can get through some things. He told us that if we go through things, he will make a way for us to escape. But sometimes it is not, the, 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 the current illness is not the issue. It's the weakness that was there before we got sick. Sometimes the trial and the struggle only reveals what was already wrong with us. Which before the trial, we could, we could fake it and we could say, hey, I'm doing great, bro. I'm doing well, pastor. I'm walking in the victory of God. And then a little bug comes in the air and we collapse in a heap. Why? Because we were weak to start with. This is why you need the word of God. This is why you need to be strong. Because what happens is the trial reveals our condition. It's important we understand how powerful the word of God is. The issue is so often not the battle that we are presently in, but our health before the battle started. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. Spiritual growth, let me emphasize this if I can. Spiritual growth is successful through both divine and human components. You must be involved. You are responsible for your own spiritual growth. You are responsible. I am responsible to try to provide an environment where the word of God is preached and taught and guided and counseled, but you are responsible for its consumption. All of us. In fact, every aspect of Christianity, every aspect of the church is a combination of human and divine. He doesn't just override us. He doesn't just force us to become spiritually strong. He requires that we become involved and then he will do his part. God will always, always, always do his part. He will never fail us. He will never not show up. He will never be late. He will always be on time and he will always provide what is necessary. But what do I bring? Faithfulness is my department. Eating a healthy spiritual diet is my responsibility. It is my choice what goes in. And if you feed your soul with all manner of junk, when you hit the battle, you'll be the first to drop. You can't get strong in the battle. You need to be strong before the battle. They don't get soldiers to go direct to war. They take them to boot camp first. They train them. They discipline them. They give them horrible haircuts and ugly uniforms and make them all look the same. And they teach them to toughen up 
That's why the Bible says, therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It does not say you can be a snowflake and be victorious in Jesus Christ. It says you've got to be willing to fight some battles. You've got to have something in you that is strong, that is healthy. So when you do fight, because the battle will come. And your ability to come out the other side of that battle is directly connected to your health when you went in. Amen. Bless the Lord. God will always do his part. You cannot be inconsistent in your walk with God. Somebody said, that's my part. And then wonder why you can't go through hardship, why you crumble at the first sign of temptation. You've got to have health. There's bread on the table. There's bread on the table. Jesus is still the bread breaker. He's still blessed and saying, if you'll eat it, I'm handing it out. If you'll eat it, I'm handing it out. So that when you go through the storm, he's still my provider. That's why David said, you prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. He said, he feeds me when the sun's shining and he feeds me when I'm in the battle, which means he's going to sustain me. He's going to keep breaking bread. I don't know what's going on, but he's feeding my soul. He's keeping me strong and able to get through what I need to face. Sometimes it's just the daily bread we need. Sometimes faithfulness is just in the mundane. Sometimes it's in the miracle of multiplication, like when he fed the multitude. But what is always the same is that there is always enough bread. There is always enough bread. Hallelujah. We have, we have an abundance of access to the Word of God, to the teaching, to the preaching, to the resources. There is no excuse. That's, I'm sorry if that's a bit blunt, but there is no excuse for us to have a poor diet spiritually. There is no excuse. There, there are so many options. If you come to church Sunday morning, you think, well, pastor was off his game. I didn't get much out of that this morning. You can go home and listen to Brother Woodward in the afternoon. There is no shortage of food for your soul. But what do we eat? Amen. See, in Luke 15, and this is not in my slide. But in Luke 15, we know the, the classic story of the prodigal son who took his father's inheritance, went out and wasted it with riots. The Bible says he wasted his substance. It's not just what he had in his wallet. It was his principles and his values and all the things he'd been taught to hold on to. He wasted that. And what do you know? A famine came. When he ran out of money, found himself feeding the pigs, thinking that their food looked good. You know what the Scripture says? The Scripture says that when he came to himself, there's a couple of things he said. He said, I will arise and I'll go to my father's house. And then the next thing he said was because in my father's house, the servants have bread and enough to spare. He said, even the servants in dad's house are fed with good bread and have leftovers. And I'm the son and I'm eating pig food. When he came to himself, he realized there was never a shortage of bread. The issue was his appetite. The issue was where he chose to eat, where he chose to go and the pathway that he chose to walk down and the direction he set his life in. There was never a shortage of bread in the father's house. And it's about our choices. The bread's always on the table. He's always blessing it and breaking it and saying, I want to feed you. I want to sustain you. I want to keep you all. You know, we don't always know what God's doing in our lives, but he's always breaking bread for us. 
Elijah the prophet, God sent him a raven. He sent him a widow. And then a little later on in the same book, he sent him an angel to make sure he had bread. He was asleep and the angel tapped him and said, wake up, wake up. He said, there's some bread and there's some water. He said, why? Because the journey is too hard for you. God said, I'm always going to provide bread. I'm always going to make a way for you to come through. Hallelujah. It's up to you if you're going to go hungry or not. It's up to us. It's up to us if we're going to have the strength for the journey. You see, at the end of the day, it comes down to our attitude toward the bread breaker and what he's offering us. Now, those, those Israelites in the wilderness, we've had enough of this miraculous bread that just shows up every morning. For some ladies to never have to go grocery shopping in, that's like the dream. Just get up and the groceries are in the pantry. But they got familiar with that. They took their eyes off the fact that God was providing for them in a wilderness. He was sustaining them and keeping them alive every single day and they became familiar with the goodness of God and they begin to complain. And if you read on, you see what happens because of their complaining. And in his teaching on the communion table in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul challenged their attitude toward the table of the Lord. And if you read that chapter, you'll see that their attitude toward the table of the Lord also included their attitude toward their brothers and sisters when they came to the table of the Lord. He said, some of you come with a feast, others are hungry, you don't wait for one another. He said, this is, this is all wrong. And he went as far as to say, because you're doing this the wrong way, because you're doing this with the wrong spirit, he said, many of you are weak and sickly. And some are even dead. And I believe that was possibly physically and spiritually. Because when you don't have the right attitude to the bread and to the bread breaker, you become weak and sickly spiritually. Amen. And possibly even die. Hallelujah. Last scripture, Psalm 37, starting at verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Somebody say, for God upholds me with his hand. And then he said these famous words, I have been young and now I'm old. He said, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. Stand with me this morning if you would. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's still the bread breaker, church. He's still the bread breaker. He's still the one that said, if you'll take it, I'm blessing it and I'm passing it out. Whether there's one of us, two of us, 5,000 of us, he's able to keep breaking that bread. Keep feeding our souls. We need to be hungry for the Word of God. We need to be hungry for the Word of God. The Scripture talks in the Old Testament about a famine of the Word of God. God forbid that there should ever be a famine of His Word. We have such access to us. You know what the reality is? We should all be spiritually obese. I didn't say physically. I said spiritually. We have such access to the Word of God, to its preaching, to its teaching, to resources, that we should be just overflowing with His Word. And yet, because of the foolishness of our own flesh, sometimes we're weak and sickly. Amen.
Let's lift our hands together this morning. I want us to pray. Thank you, Jesus. I hope I'm stirring your hearts this morning. Hallelujah. He's the bread breaker. He's the sustainer of my soul. He's the one that prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He's, he's still the God that sends the raven, sends the widow, sends the angel. He's going to make sure there's bread. Hallelujah, Jesus. Why don't you just lift your hands and worship him across this place. Let's ask him to give us a fresh appetite for the bread of life. Let's not be like those Israelites in the wilderness. We become familiar and just not grateful for his miraculous provision. But he is the bread of life.